Hello and welcome to this episode of The Inspired Attorney. I'm your host, Sharon B. And in this episode, we are speaking with Lisa Linsky. Lisa shares with us in part one of this conversation how she came to be an attorney. She also talks to us about her experience of being in the closet while she worked at the DA's office, how she came out and what it was like for her after she fully embraced who she is. She also talks to us about her role in creating the LGBT diversity initiative at her firm and how it was recognized by the human rights campaign within a year of its creation. We further talk about the creation of a work-life balance and how creating efficiencies are a large part of this. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to The Inspired Attorney. Hi, Sharon. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Thank you for being here. Can you please introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Lisa Linsky. I'm a partner at the law firm of McDermott, Will, and Emery, and I'm based in our New York office. Are you from the New York area? I feel like I am. I've lived in New York now most of my, well, actually all of my adult life, but I'm originally from the Philadelphia area. Oh, wow. Very cool. So can you tell us about why you got into law? Oh, that's one of my favorite stories. So I decided to be a lawyer when I was in eighth grade. This is an absolutely true story. I was in middle school one day and a a schoolmate of mine, I can't even say he was a friend, he was a classmate, um, approached me and asked to speak to me after our chemistry class. And I came to learn that he and his family were in some kind of trouble and the Child Protective Services was doing an investigation and he didn't know what to do. And so he sought out my counsel. Now I was all of, I don't know, 14, 15 years old at the time. And, uh, and we chatted for a while and then I had to get to my English class. So I, I stood up and I, I wished him well and said, you need to talk to me again, just, just let me know. And walking back to my English class, I, like, like God parted the sky and said, Lisa, you're gonna be a lawyer. I remember it like, like a lightning bolt hit me. And I went home that day and I said to my mom, I know what I'm gonna be when I grow up, I'm going to be a lawyer. And she was quite surprised because we had doctors in the family, we had small business owners, but no lawyers. And that was it, I, I never looked back. That's amazing. I, I got goosebumps while you were telling me about that. <laughs> so how did you decide on the area of law that you ended up getting into? Uh, great question. Um, so when I was in high school, I started to uh, get very involved in theater and drama club. And I, I'll brag for a mo- moment, I was the lead in our school shows, including the school musical, which at my high school was a very big deal. People used to come all over from, from all over the city of Philadelphia to see Northeast High School's musical productions. So I was very comfortable and um, very much enjoyed being on stage. In fact, at one point before I actually went to college, I thought, well, maybe law can wait. Maybe I'll try my hand at being an actress and a performer. I, I quickly got over that and decided <laughs> law school was probably a better bet. But there was something very thrilling about being in front of an audience, talking to people, knowing that I could both entertain and persuade people. And so getting into litigation was just a really a natural fit for me. That's very cool. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about um, your law school experience and what you wish you would have known going into law school? Um, you know, I did not particularly enjoy law school. <laughs> let, me, let me start there. I thought it was a, a very stressful environment. The whole Socratic method was um, anxiety provoking, uh, not, not because I wasn't used to speaking on my feet. I certainly was. But more because, you know, you're, you're in front of your peers and there's so much uh, competition in law school and this feeling that everyone's judging everybody else for a top at the spot, uh, a, a spot at the top, excuse me. And I really, you know, I didn't enjoy that. I prefer and have certainly created environments in my working life where there's a feeling of camaraderie and collaboration and teamwork. And law school doesn't really inspire those things, at least not in, 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 in the day when I went to law school. So um, for me, it was about getting through law school to get to the, to the end of the game, which was getting out to practice. Um, I did very well in law school. I worked very, very, very hard in law school. So I think if I had to talk to myself uh, as me now, looking back at the young me going into law school, I might have said to myself, have a little more fun. I did not have a lot of fun in law school. <laughs> I worked, as I said, I worked very hard. I worked most weekends. Now, the, the upside of that was by the time exams rolled around, I was ready. My outlines were done. I, I studied, of course, but I had been studying all along. Uh, so, of course, the trade-off was I had no real time to myself and didn't get to spend much time with friends or family. So that, that was a bit disappointing. I didn't get particularly involved in the law school community. I was very much focused on the academics and doing well. I think that's really good advice. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges, one or more of the biggest challenges that you faced in your career? And what have you learned from that? Well, you know, it's an interesting question, Sharon, because I think if you had asked me that question when I was first starting out in my career, uh, and, I've, and I've really had two major career paths, I would say. I started my career as a criminal prosecutor in Westchester, New York. Uh, when I was in law school, I, I thought maybe I would go into entertainment law because of my love of the theater and show business and all of that. And I wasn't really sure, but what I did know that I I knew one thing, I would not go into criminal law. And of course, that's what I ended up going into. <laughs> so never, never say never, be open to everything. And, and truthfully, my, my years as a prosecutor uh, were among some of the best in my career. Um, I led a team of 25 people. We were doing domestic violence and child abuse work, sex crimes, um, homicides, and it was very gritty, but very exciting and interesting work. And at the time that I started, I was very much closeted. I'm a gay woman, and now, of course, I'm I'm out, and I've been with my my spouse for twenty almost twenty two years, and I have no issue with it. Nor does anyone at my law firm, or my clients, or my colleagues. But at the time, as a young lawyer just starting out, 
I was quite nervous about um, being myself. And I would say for the first five years of my career, I uh, made it a point of, of dating men, some, some lovely, lovely men who were friends and, and, and such. And, and, but it was more for the appearance of it, for me. You know, it was more about uh, making sure I checked all the boxes so that my employer thought highly of me, not only just my legal skills and the talents that I've been blessed with, but, but all around, I had the full picture. And there's a tremendous toll that that kind of um, charade takes on, on a person. You know, now it's funny, when I left the district attorney's office and I joined my law firm, I was quickly asked to start an LGBT diversity and inclusion program. So I went from starting my first career as being completely in the closet <laughs> and then went to starting my second career, my second chapter, being completely out. But of course, you know, there, were, there was almost 20 years in between. So I had a lot of time to grow up and to mature and to prove not only to my, my employers and my colleagues, but to prove to myself that I was a damn good lawyer. And I didn't have to hide anymore. And I didn't have to be afraid anymore. But I would say that that, that was perhaps the biggest challenge facing uh, me and my the start of my legal career uh, so many years ago. There have been other challenges which are, are have nothing to do with that. But I would say that, that that was a big challenge. And I still see and I talk to many, many young people who still feel that way, who still feel, I don't want to be known as the gay lawyer, or uh, I'm afraid it will hurt my chances of advancement or becoming a partner at a big law firm. And for the most part, it's just not that way anymore. Certainly not in, in most areas in the country. I guess I can't say that for all areas in the country, but that, that's another conversation. What would you say to someone who is struggling with that? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're defined by our work and not by that. But what would you say to someone who is in that position that you were in? So what I would say is quickly find a mentor, someone who can listen to you and share with you uh, his or her or their experiences uh, that may be the same or maybe a little bit different, but similar. And so that you know you have someone who listens to you and hears you. It's very, very important, particularly, I think, in the big law world. It's very important that young lawyers find the people who will be their champions, who will become their sponsors and their, and their mentors. It is really, really important. And when I think back, I've been at McDermott now for 20 years. And I look back on the, the partners and colleagues who have been there for me and have been my champions, it, it really makes a big difference. If, if a young person came to me and said, hey, I'm LGBT and I'm in a you know, conservative or relatively conservative uh, organization, I don't know what to do. You know, I would talk to them about, uh, well, first of all, first thing I ask people is, do you have any concerns for your safety or for your job? Now, you know, big law has been a leader in corporate equality and inclusion efforts um, since the early 2000s. Big law has really 
taken the lead in the, in the corporate world in many respects by creating uh, diversity inclusion programs and uh, sponsoring diverse attorneys, whether they be racially diverse or whether it's women lawyers or LGBT lawyers. So, so big law has changed a lot in the, I would say in the last 15 years even. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every organization is like that. And if an, if an individual has concerns about their safety uh, or their potential for advancement, that's a different conversation than someone who's just trying to come to terms with his or her or their own gender identity, sexual orientation. And sometimes it just takes uh, baby steps. You know, when I was in the DA's office, I really didn't plan to come out. A very close colleague with whom I worked took me to lunch one day and no sooner had we sat down than she said to me, are you gay? I was fell off my chair. <laughs> but you know, in that moment, you, you sometimes have to make a quick split decision. And I just said, yes. And she said, oh, thank God. Now we can be real friends. And when I look back on that, and I've told that story many, many times over the years, this woman is one of my best friends to date. And so while it may seem scary in the moment, it opens so many doors for the most part and, and brings, brings you to a place of integrity and authenticity that people really tap into. And I think it's very helpful for the most part, again, there, there are exceptions, but for the most part, I think that that can truly help a young lawyer's career. I think that's very empowering advice. What would you say, what, what was the transition like for you from going from working for the government to working in big law? You know, it's, it's funny. I get that question all the time, mostly from friends who are in the government and thinking about leaving to go to private practice. Um, I have to say that for me, I was ready for that trans transition. I had spent over 15 years in the district attorney's office. As I said, I loved it. I loved the work. I loved the people. The cases were challenging and often heart-wrenching, but they were, you felt like the good guy. And for, for me, I felt like this is why I went to law school. This is why I, I, I wanted to go into a profession where I could truly have an impact and help people. When I think back about my eighth grade conversation with my classmate, it is kind of ironic that I ended up doing you know, family violence, child abuse work, uh, because it really called to me. It felt like not a lot of prosecutors were doing this work at the time. We were really cutting edge. And it was tremendously rewarding. But like all good things, right, there comes a, a point where you just realize it's time. It's time to do something else. It's time to challenge yourself. I had handled big cases. I had tried cases. I was in front of grand juries. I had done a lot of public speaking, all of which I loved. But it was time to, to raise the bar for myself a little bit. And I also, in, in all candor, I had uh, recently met my partner and, you know, I realized that I was at a crossroads. It was time if I were going to make a move, that was the time to do it. So when I 
when I was offered the position at McDermott, maybe I should have been more scared. (laughs) I had never practiced any kind of civil law. I went from law school into the district attorney's office where I did, you know, criminal law, criminal procedure and constitutional law. That's what I did. But I didn't feel scared. Um, I felt really, and I say this also to a lot of young, young lawyers or law students, if you have an opportunity to spend the early part of your career in a DA's office or a legal aid office or, you know, a, a, an AG or a um, U.S. attorney's office, grab it because you will get a, a depth of experience as a young lawyer that you may not get, certainly not right out of the gate when you're in big law. And so I had, now of course, I wasn't a young lawyer when I joined McDermott, but nonetheless, it was a new world. And I entered with a feeling of confidence and a feeling that I had built up enough of my skills to have a very strong foundation that whatever it is I ended up doing, I would figure it out. And to this day, that's still my my guiding light. You know, I tried crazy, horrible cases as a DA and won most of them. That experience really has carried over into the civil practice. I think that's such a great uh, comment that you made because it's all about um, seeing the small, small and large wins and giving yourself credit for it and seeing that you made that jump once, you can make another jump. Which I think is a bigger lesson for life too. You know, in, in today's world in particular, where there's so much uncertainty, not only about our professions, but in, in general, look, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So I think that being flexible, being resilient, being nimble, these are some of the best skills that young lawyers can build up, build up those muscles because you never know when you might have to make a change or you may want to make a change. Very true. What would you say, because we talked a little bit about the diversity initiative that you started, um, and it was one of the first of its kind, if I'm not mistaken, um, for the LGBT um, diversity initiative within law firms. What? How did that come about? And also, what did you learn from creating it and the whole experience? Great questions. Um, so how it came about was um, opportunity literally knocked at my door. I was sitting in my office one day in Rockefeller Plaza, so our old offices, and uh, there was a knock on my door. And I looked up and it was one of my partners who I just adore. And he came in and he sat down and he said, look, I just nominated you to undertake the creation of uh, some kind of a diversity committee for gay lawyers. And I said, well, why me? He said, because you're a gay lawyer. (laughs) He said, you're also the only one we know about. I said, you gotta be kidding me. This is a law firm of, you know, over a thousand lawyers. He said, well, we've realized this sort of firm management and um, the the heads of our um, women's group, the gender diversity committee, and the racial and ethnic diversity committee, they were meeting with a group of summer associates and doing a diversity presentation and explaining about 
the programs that McDermott had implemented because the firm had in fact implemented some of these DNI programs. And the questions that these young people raised really had more to do with sexual orientation and gender identity. Can you be openly gay at McDermott? If you are, can you make a partner? Are there any openly gay partners at McDermott? Can I speak to some of them? And the diversity chairs who were speaking with this summer class realized they hadn't even thought about LGBT lawyers. It didn't even cross their radar screens. And so they took what they learned from these, um, from these law students, from these summer associates, went to firm management and said, we're, we're falling short. We have to do something for LGBT lawyers. And apparently, I, I wasn't in the room, but I hear that they said, well, we need to find someone who can run with this initiative. And, and Banks, my, my partner, volunteered me. So I said, well, you know, this is an interesting opportunity. Um, you know, who is going to help me? <laughs> Do I have a committee? Do I have a budget? You know, I, I mean, does anyone have any thoughts on how this should look? And he said, nope. And then he stood up and he walked out of my office. That's a true story. Uh, so uh, what did I do? Well, the first thing I did was I called my, my, my spouse. I called Fiona. And I said, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. <laughs> and to her credit, she said to me, Lisa, this is exactly what you need. And it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying my civil practice. I was. But I'm a public servant at heart. You know, I'm someone who must give back and pay it forward. It's just in my DNA. And I have been doing some pro bono work at the firm, but I felt like there was a higher, bigger calling and I wasn't fulfilling it. And then this opportunity literally dropped in my lap. So all of that to say how we went from zero to 100 in the span of the first year is a pretty, pretty cool story. Uh, basically, what I did was I took on creating this internal committee and then um, sort of outward facing with the broader legal and LGBT community uh, by taking it on like an investigation, which is what I did as a DA. You know, we vertically prosecuted our cases for the most part. So I would start with an investigation and build the case until I had you know, enough to go to a grand jury and indict the offender. Well, it was kind of like that. I did an investigation. I started calling people, um, people I knew in corporate America who were out and had been doing some LGBT-related programs. I called all of the major LGBT legal and civil rights organizations like Lambda Legal and said, hey, we're going to be starting this committee. Uh, you think there's an opportunity to do some pro bono work together? And literally, I was cold calling and meeting with people for the first year. I was out almost every night of the week meeting with people. I also put out a call to action to my colleagues at McDermott, sent out a firm-wide email, and I said, look, I'm starting this DNI committee. I could use some help. Let me know if you're interested. And much to my pleasant surprise, a number of people raised their hands. And that was really how we got started. Within the first year, we had 100% score on the Human Rights Campaign's Corporate Equality Index, which was no small feat at the time because there were only 11 other law firms on the list. 
at that point. Now they're over 300. But we were, again, very cutting edge. And I probably spent almost as much time building this concept out as I did on my practice. It was very consuming. Uh, it was a lot of wear and tear, a lot of running around, but it has paid dividends, not only for the firm, which was and has been recognized countless times as a leader in LGBTQ plus diversity and inclusion, but for my career, it got my name out into the broader legal community and business communities. And I have been very, very blessed to receive incredible awards and accolades and, and other types of recognitions for this type of diversity uh, leadership. And really it's one of the second only, I think, to my DA work, that legacy, if you will, that I will someday leave to McDermott is something that I'm, I'm really most proud of. It's really incredible what you've done. Thank you. What would you say to your colleagues or our colleagues who, because uh, you are really involved um, not only in pro bono work, but also philanthropic efforts, what would you say to your colleagues who maybe say, I don't have the time because I need to take on cases to make money? Another great question. Uh, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard colleagues say exactly that. I, uh, I am a big pro bono participant. Um, we started a relationship with the Mattachian Society of Washington, DC, almost a decade ago. It's a pro bono client. They uh, do original archival research and we've done everything from uh, uh, amicus briefs to the Supreme Court in the Obergefell case to a recent white paper on conversion therapy. Very time consuming stuff. Um, very time consuming, very important, you know, from a civil rights perspective. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm as busy as, as the next lawyer. So how do you find the time? Because when I talk to lawyers, and, and not just young lawyers, but lawyers who are my peers, uh, my contemporaries, who say, I'm just too busy. You know, I have clients to, to handle. I have casework to do. I'm out there you know, making rain and, and doing business development. I cannot, I just don't have time to take one from them. And, you know, it's really another iteration of the same question about work-life balance, in my view. Because people will often say, well, how do you do it? You know, how do you do work-life balance? And frankly, I was not very good at work-life balance the first part of my career at McDermott because I too was very focused on minimal hours and, and, and establishing new clients and you know making sure the diversity committee got out there, you know, all that stuff. As my partner, as Fiona is, is fond of saying to me, you know, there are only 24 hours in a day. That's it. So it becomes a matter of how do you allocate your energy and your focus? And what I learned after maybe about eight years at the firm is that no one was going to knock on my door and say, here, I'm handing you work-life balance. <laughs> here, I'm, I'm handing you X number of hours a month to do pro bono. It's, it's like I was sitting there and the light bulb went off. 
And I said, hey, if I want work-life balance, I have to create it. If I want to take on pro bono work, I have to make the time for it. And, and it sounds like such a like a, an obvious shift of, of thinking, but you'd be amazed how many people don't get there. So what you do is you just carve out the time. You figure out how much time you think you can devote. Start small if need be, but you'll find that you'll you'll enjoy the work and you'll you'll allot more time to it. Not at the expense of your sort of regular client work or billable work or your business development activities. It's more about the jungle. And it's more about learning how to be efficient. You know, I often learn to this day from my much younger colleagues about working smarter. You know, I'm a baby boomer. So, you know, I have my way of preparing for a deposition or preparing for a trial, preparing to give a speech. But I learned at some point working with younger lawyers who are from a different generation and grew up with computers and devices and so forth, that you can work smarter and more efficiently. And so that's that's kind of been my focus the last 10 years of my career is how can I find more time to do the things that really light me up as a lawyer and still have time for my regular clients and my regular work? So oftentimes we get so set in our ways, um, but as you had stated before, if you're open and agile, you can pivot so much easier. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're open to learning new things, which I think for anyone, any human being is critical, but especially for lawyers, I think it's really essential. If you want to stay vital and you want to stay uh, a trusted counselor and guide to your clients, you, you have to be open to learning new things, and you can learn new things from anyone, young or old. Amen to that. Thank you for watching. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And as always, if you are seeking further strategic guidance, please reach out to me or utilize the resources I have made available to you.